chapter 5 this morning. And if you will, let's stand so we might read the scriptures together, as we do every Sunday. Our text today is found in verses 17 through 26. And as we do every week, let us read together and let us read aloud. The translation that I'm using will be up here behind me so you can follow along with me. Verse 17, let's read together. Then the high priest rose up, and all those who were with him, which is the sect of the Sadducees, and they were filled with indignation, and laid their hands on the apostles, and put them in the common prison. But at night an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors, and brought them out, and said, Go stand in the temple, and speak to the people all the words of this life. And when they heard that, they entered the temple early in the morning and taught. But the high priest and those with him came and called the council together with all the elders of the children of Israel and sent to the prison to have them brought. But when the officers came and did not find them in the prison, they returned and reported, saying, Indeed, we found the prison shut securely and the guards standing outside before the doors. But when we opened them, we found no one inside. Now when the high priest, the captain of the temple, and the chief priest heard these things, they wondered what the outcome would be. So one came and told them, saying, Look, the men whom you put in prison are standing in the temple and teaching the people. Then the captain went with the officers and brought them without violence, for they feared the people, lest they should be stoned. Shall we pray? Father, help us this morning to come to a greater understanding of your word. We ask for the outpouring, the anointing, and the blessing of your Holy Spirit upon each and every one. For your wisdom, for your instruction, and for your understanding, Lord. May our eyes, may our ears, may our hearts be open, and our minds as well, to all that you have before us here. We ask that you, Lord, will encourage us and exhort us now. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. You all may be seated. There can be nothing more imprisoned and bound by hatred than a religious heart that is infuriated when sick people are healed and when Satan's hold on people's lives is being broken. If you think about that for a moment, you think, that doesn't sound right. It doesn't sound right. Something doesn't click here. But I'm going to say that statement one more time. There can be nothing more imprisoned and bound by hatred than a religious heart that is infuriated when sick people are healed and when Satan's hold on people's lives is being broken. There truly is no hatred like religious hatred. Now, is this not what we see almost daily in the news today? 
what we find happening halfway across the world, why there is a war going on even today. Bottom line, we know that it is religious hatred that is causing much of this. Now, we would expect it from radical Hinduism that seeks to kill people that do not believe as they do, and especially Christians in places like India. And we would expect it from radical Islam, as we see almost daily. But would we expect it from the leaders of Israel against their own people? All we have to do is think of what was done to Jesus. And then we'd have to ask the question about today, does it exist today within the church of Jesus Christ? A religious hatred. There are dividing lines. There are those who would hold to very legalistic positions. Let's say, do this, don't do that, you can't do this, you can't do that, you dress this way, you dress that way. You don't eat this, you don't eat that. You don't do this, you don't do that, you don't go here, you don't go there. And the hatred can go across the line toward those who believe in the grace and the mercy and truth of Jesus Christ. Who have been set free by the work of Jesus on the cross. The battle continues between law and grace. So with that in mind, from Pentecost on, from the time that the Holy Spirit came upon the church and the 120 there in the temple, the message of the resurrection of Jesus Christ spread like wildfire through Jerusalem as spirit-filled and spirit-led witnesses declared the gospel to the lost. Signs and wonders accompanied and confirmed the preaching of the Word of God. And, and no one could deny that the Lord was at work in a new and a living way among His chosen people. And we would think that everybody was going to get on board and be, be joyous about this, but not everyone was happy with the growth and the success of the early church. The religious establishment that had opposed Jesus and His ministry and eventually crucified Him began to take the same aggressive and intimidating approach toward the apostles. But the fact of the matter is, Jesus had warned the apostles about that. In John chapter 15, verse 20, Jesus said to them, Remember the word that I said to you, A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours also. And then in, in, in the very first couple of verses of the next chapter, John 16, Jesus went on to say, These things I have spoken to you that you should not be made to stumble. They will put you out of the synagogues. Yes, the time is coming that whoever kills you will think that he offers God service. You see, that's the mindset of people who hold to these very radical type of views or these established dead views. They think they're doing God a service by getting rid of you. 
What Jesus had taught them was starting to come to pass. You see, dead tradition was responding to living truth in the only way that it knew how. Listen to the contrasting positions. Dead tradition was responding to living truth in the only way that it knew how. And I want you to consider that the Holy Spirit was giving the leaders of Israel all the signs they had craved. What does the Scripture tell us? What do the Scriptures tell us? The Jews seek a sign. And they had sought signs. And God was giving them signs. God was giving the leaders of Israel all the signs that they had wanted. And what was their response? Their response was one of vehement fury. Their response was one of indignation against the very one that God had sent unto His own people. In John 1, it tells us that He came unto His own, that Jesus came unto His own, the Logos, the Word of God. He came unto His own, and His own did not receive Him. Yet they sought signs. What did Jesus do? Everything He did. Everything He said was to open their eyes, and they didn't open their eyes. But they thought they were free. And thinking that they were free, the reality was that they were bound in spiritual chains by their hatred and their opposition to the truth and the grace of God. Thinking they were free. The title of this message is Free to be Bound. Bound to be free. There are those who think they are free, but they're really bound. But if the world tries to bind us, the only thing that we come to realize as believers in Jesus Christ is that we're not bound by the things of this world. Though we may be bound, we are bound to one thing, and that is the love of Jesus Christ. And it is in that that we are free to preach the gospel, to show the love of Christ. To show the world that Jesus came for them. Because he came to die for sinners. They thought they were free. But they were bound in spiritual chains by hatred and opposition to God's grace and truth. So with that thought in mind, in Acts chapter 5 verse 17, it tells us that the high priest rose up. And that, that just means that he got up, he was, he was ready to do something about what was going on there in the temple by these apostles of Jesus, by these followers of Christ. The high priest rose up and all those who were with him, which is the sect of the Sadducees, and they were filled with an indignation and laid their hands on the apostles. And may I say to you that they did not lay their hands on the apostles to pray for them. A lot of times we say, let's lay hands on someone because we want to pray for them. They didn't lay their hands on them to pray for them. That means they arrested them. And that forcefully arrested them. Though the apostles didn't resist. They laid their hands on the apostles and put them in the common prison. Now the key to understanding their hatred is the mention of this phrase, the sect of the Sadducees simply because they were the ruling party within the Sanhedrin council. And we've learned a little bit about the Sadducees in our, in our time in the Gospel of Luke and now in, the, in, in our study of the book of Acts. The Sadducees were this, this uh, uh, 
group of, of Jews who, first of all, they, they didn't believe in, 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 in miracles. They didn't believe in the supernatural. They, they held only to the five books of Moses as if to think that, that uh, there was really nothing that was supernatural about the things that happened in the, book of, uh, in the five books of Moses, you know, from Genesis uh, on there through uh, Deuteronomy and all. As if to, as to say that, uh, you know, God speaking a word in, and, and, and creating the heavens and the earth by, by speaking that word. It was not much of a miracle or, or the, 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 the Israelites that came out of, of Egypt and, and, you know, were uh, able to cross uh, the Red Sea there, even though they were being chased by the uh, Egyptians. And, and then the Egyptians were, were, were taken care of by the waters coming back upon them. That wasn't a miracle at all, was it? I mean, it was, the other thinking is, uh, how, do, how do they get beyond all of these things? So they weren't really into, the, into God's word to really understand. They were the liberals of their time. But they were also the political party. And so you remember that the Sadducees were vehemently opposed to the doctrine of the resurrection. See, throughout the life of Jesus, who were the ones who were following Jesus the most? It was the Pharisees. Because Jesus continued to reveal their hearts, that they did everything on the outside, but inside they, they, were, they were dead. But as soon as Peter started preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ in the temple, what was the very focus of his preaching? It was the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so the Sadducees were vehemently opposed to the doctrine of the resurrection or, or anything having to do with the supernatural for that matter. And while they were the minority in numbers, the Sadducees held this political and financial power in the council. In other words, they held the purse strings. So is it any wonder then that after having observed a, a multitude of healings and listened to a number of sermons on the resurrection of Jesus Christ, that these religious leaders were filled with the worst kind of jealousy? That is actually the definition for that word indignation. It was the worst kind of jealousy. All of these things were happening, but they didn't want to believe it. And the one key figure in all of that was that lame man who they knew was lame from birth, who, stood, who, who sat at the gate called beautiful day in and day out throughout most of his life. And they knew that he was, was lame. They knew that he had been, you know, his, his, all his, his hands and his muscles were all crooked until Peter came and said, what I have, I'll give to you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Stand up and walk. And he pulls them up and every bone and every muscle and every sinew in his body straightens out to the point that he doesn't have to learn how to walk. He is a walking miracle. He's walking and he's leaping and he's praising God. This is the rejoicing that should have been taking place. And many began to say, what has taken place here? Peter uses that time as an opportunity to preach that this was Jesus who did it. The Jesus that had died on the cross, who was buried, had risen again, and he was the one who healed that man. So you see, they were just wanting to get all of that out of their minds. They would not. They were dead in their tradition. They would not change. And this is what spurred their decision to arrest all the apostles. Not just Peter and John now, but all the apostles. And besides, Peter and John had obeyed their official orders to stop preaching in the name of Jesus Christ. And so they were guilty then of defying the laws of a nation. The witness of the church was also contesting and disproving the doctrines held by the Sadducees. 
giving every evidence that Jesus was indeed alive. And this is what, the, what caused them to hate these things all the more. You see, their hearts were far from God. On the outside, they showed some sense of devotion to God by going to the temple, by going to their prayers, by giving their alms and doing it quite publicly, I should add. But inside, they were dead. And they held to dead traditions. And Jesus came to change all of that. Because He came with a new and a living way. The fulfillment of the law. The fulfillment of the prophets. And on top of it all, the Sadducees were filled with envy and indignation at the very success of untrained and unauthorized men. These men don't have any degrees. They never went to seminary. They never went to Bible college. They never went to rabbi school. They never did all of these things. And, 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 and they're doing all of this. Do you see the jealousy? Do you see the envy? Remember in Acts chapter 4, 13, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated and untrained, in other, in other words, they were illiterate and ignorant men, Yet they marveled, they realized that they had been with Jesus and that again is the key. That is the key for all of us today. That we need to be with Jesus. We need to spend time with Jesus. Doesn't matter how much we know or how much we've learned or how much we've, we've gone to school. You know, what? It, it's good to do that. The Apostle Paul was a trained rabbi. The Apostle Paul was, was a Pharisee of the Pharisees, a Hebrew of Hebrews. But he came to know Jesus Christ. And he spent time with Jesus. So you see, the important thing isn't so much what you know or what you don't know. It's who you know and who you spend time with. And one thing that dead tradition is blind to, one thing that dead tradition is blind to is anything that is new, anything that is living, and anything that is fresh in its vibrancy. If it's new, if it's living, if it's alive, and especially if it's biblical, something's wrong with it. See, this is the mindset. But what did the Apostle Paul write about the new life in Jesus Christ? 2 Corinthians 5 verse 17, Paul says, Therefore, if anyone, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. All things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. And the beauty of the newness of being in Jesus Christ is that we are new all the time. There is nothing that gets old. And there should never be a time when we in the church would ever say, I'm just tired of being a Christian. I'm just tired of the things that I do week in and week out. I'm just tired of going to church. I'm just tired of it's just getting old for me. Well, it may be getting old for you, but it's not getting old for me. And I hope it's not getting old for you. I hope the study of God's Word from Genesis to Revelation as we do every week and every time we get together is never going to grow old with you. Because every time we read the pages of Scripture, it's like a new thing being given to us. Even though we may have read it for 50 years. That's how alive the Word of God is. That's how alive the Spirit of God is when He's working in and through us. Is He alive with you today? Then you should be alive with that newness of Jesus Christ. And the church was vibrant and it was alive. And the Sadducees hated that. The apostles, you see, like, like their Lord Jesus whom they represented. 
The apostles were persecuted because their good works and their popularity with the people were a threat to those who were bound to their religious and their moral darkness, who were bound to their oldness, who were bound to those dead and weak and old traditions. And so they were put, the apostles, they were put in a common prison, treated like common felons and locked up overnight. And I'm sure the religious leaders intended to take more severe measures to put an end to this new movement. They really wanted to get rid of it, just squash it, just get rid of it. And now their leaders, those followers of that Jesus, they wouldn't even name them, as you'll see next week. The, the, their followers, or his followers, they're under lock and key now. We've got them. And we're going to do more. Silence this nonsense. By the way, it's important to note that the apostles did not resist arrest or organize a protest, whether publicly or otherwise. Quietly and peacefully they went along with the temple guard to spend a few hours in jail. And you know what? It might not have even been a few hours because we're told in verse 19, but at night an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out. And said, go, stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. All right, guys, we're going to put you in this prison. We're going to lock you up. You're going to stay there until we tell you. We're going to, we're going to, we're, you know, you just stay there. And you be quiet. And, you know, we're going to you just, you, you just wait for what's going to happen. And, and, okay. The angel comes and says, come on out. And go. And stand in the temple and speak to the people the words of this life. Now here was one more way that God was sanctioning and authorizing His church to the Jewish people. One more sign. One more thing. Not only were people being miraculously healed and delivered from demonic oppression, but this miraculous release of the apostles was one more hammer blow on the conscience of the Sadducees and the conscience of the Sanhedrin at least to any of them who would listen. One more of a strong hammer blow. Why? Because it was miraculous. They were locked up and sealed. They had guards outside. And the angel took them out. I mean, this certainly wasn't anything too hard for God to arrange. I mean, is it hard for God to send a couple of His angels down to do this? No, it's not hard for God at all. For we're told of angels in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 14, are they not all ministering spirits sent forth to minister for those who will inherit salvation? So there's nothing too hard for God to do that. And where, and where these, these, these Sadducees and the Sanhedrin were, were, were themselves so thinking of themselves to be so free and yet they were so bound. Here's where the apostles were bound to be free. You know, the world tries to bind them. The world tried to bind them and to, 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 you know, to, to keep them from, from going out. But they were bound to be free. They were not only set free, but they were set free for a reason. They were set free with a purpose. And that purpose was given to them. And by the way, this wasn't a message from the heart of the angel. It was a message sent from God through the angel. And that angel said, go and stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. 
Now, they, they weren't set free to go as, you know, to get as far away from Jerusalem and the religious leaders as they could. As you know, some people try to break others out of prison and they say, hey, get away. You know, what? these jailbirds, you know, get out and then they, they don't hang around where they've been. Or they don't hang around at the scene of the crime. They don't hang around the prison and, you know, sit down and drink coffee, you know, down at the, you know, at the lounge there. They get up and they go. They, they go as far away as they can. But the apostles weren't set free to get as far away from Jerusalem and the religious leaders as they could or to find some distant oasis to indulge their comforts. Oh, get away. And now once you get over there, nobody's going to come and bother you. They were set free to preach Jesus. What exactly did that angel say to them? He said, speak to the people all the words of this life. All the words of this life. This life being what? The eternal life that came through Jesus Christ. This new life of knowing Christ. But by the bottom line, it is preaching Christ Himself. Why? Because Jesus said in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through Me. You go and you speak, He says, all the words of this life. It is the life that Jesus came to bring. It is the life of eternal salvation. It is the life that we can have today, living free in Christ to serve Him and to serve one another in the love of Christ. All the words of this life. So we are not set free, folks. Please listen. We are not set free for our own comfort and for our own pleasure. We are not set free for these things. Yet, in serving the Lord Jesus Christ and proclaiming His truth, we find no greater pleasure or satisfaction. There is no greater pleasure or satisfaction than in preaching and having the freedom to preach the Word of God, in having the opportunity to tell people about Jesus Christ, in, in serving one another in comfort and in, 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 in their needs, and serving comfort for their needs. There, there's no greater pleasure. We are not set free for our own comforts. As some people sometimes preach on TV, oh, listen, come to Jesus and you'll have everything you want. Whatever you want, whatever is on your heart, whatever you desire, you can have it if you just come to Jesus. That's not the case. All we have to do is look at the life of those who are, who are living for Christ. And what's the first thing that comes after, after them? It's oppression. Persecution. Read the last couple of chapters of 2 Timothy. Paul in prison, asking Timothy to bring him a, his cloak. The only cloak he had. He left it behind. And he's asking for that. He's asking for books and parchments. He has nothing with him. Yet he says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. Where do we get this idea that we come to Jesus and we can have whatever we want? Now, God has blessed us. There's no doubt. As we look around, we know that God has blessed us tremendously. For that, we ought to be thankful. And whatever we have been given, we ought to give back into the Lord from all of our heart. We didn't come to be set free for that. You see the idea here, if you, if you go to John chapter 8, verses 29 to 36. Jesus, having been confronted by 
certain Jews, and there were some Jews who came to know Jesus at that time. But in John 8, verse 29, Jesus said, He who sent me is with me. The Father has not left me alone, for I always do those things that please him. As he spoke these words, many believed in him. Then Jesus said to those Jews who believed him, if you abide in my word and your if you abide in my word you are my disciples indeed and you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. They answered him, "We are Abraham's descendants and have never been in bondage to anyone." Oh, really? Were they not at one time under bondage in Egypt for 490 years or 400 years at least or 430 years? Were they not under bondage then? Had they not been under bondage to the Babylonians and the Assyrians and so on and so forth? <laughs> what were they thinking? They were thinking they were free, and yet in their thinking to be free, they were bound. And Jesus clarifies that. They answered him, We are Abraham's descendants and have never been in bondage to anyone. How can you say you will be made free? Jesus answered them, Most assuredly, I say to you, whoever commits sin is a slave of sin. Right then and there, we find what we're set free from when we come to the truth. I say to you, whoever commits sin is a slave of sin, and a slave does not abide in the house forever, but a son abides forever. Therefore, if the son makes you free, you shall be free indeed, free from sin, free from death, free from the bondage of sin and death. And then you no longer are a slave, but now you have become a joint heir with Jesus Christ. Read the book of, of, of Romans chapter 8. A joint heir with Christ. You're set free to do what? You're set free to serve Him. You're set free from the bondage of sin and death so that your whole life will be unto the Lord Jesus Christ. You see the difference then? You can be free to be bound. Free in your mind to think that you're free, but you're really bound to st still to sin or still to dead tradition. Free to be bound or you can be bound to be free. Getting back to angels just for a moment. What the Sadducees refused to believe, because they didn't believe in anything supernatural. So what the Sadducees refused to believe, the Lord used to contradict their traditional and unbiblical positions. An angel comes and sets the apostles free. Now there are a few instances in the book of Acts where we find the ministry of angels and caring for God's people. I'll give you just a couple of of examples. We'll get to them, of course, later. But in Acts chapter 8, verse 26, it tells us, Now an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, saying, Arise and go toward the south along the road, which goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is desert. So there's an angel that was involved in the ministry of, of Philip uh, to the Ethiopian. In Acts chapter 10, verses 3 and 4, we find uh, an angel uh, assisting Cornelius, the centurion, it says about the ninth hour of the day he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God coming in and saying to him, Cornelius. And when he observed him, he was afraid and said, What is it, Lord? So he said to him, Your prayers and your alms have come up for a memorial before God. So an angel is involved in the ministry to Cornelius. But people today seek to rationalize and to explain away the things that God does miraculously. Which is one reason why so many people today have sought to explain away the resurrection of Jesus Christ, whether through the Da Vinci Code inaccuracies or, or the desperate attempts at finding the remains of Jesus and dug up boxes inscribed with common names of his time. 
But what about the greatest miracle to affect the hearts of men? What about the greatest miracle that has brought us, many of us here into this place today? I hope and pray that all of us have experienced this miracle. What about this miracle? Luke 18. The story of the rich young ruler. Who, when he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus told him what he had to give up. He became sad, and it tells us uh, here in Luke 18:24, when Jesus saw that he became very sorrowful, he said, how hard it is for those who have riches to enter the kingdom of God. For it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. It seems like an impossibility. But notice in verse 26 it says, And those who heard it said, Who then can be saved? Who can then be saved? But he said, The things which are impossible with men are possible with God. Nothing is impossible with God. There were many of us in this room today that at one time thought that you were so far from God. You individually were so far from God. You would, you know, you, why would even God want to bother with us? There were people who looked at your life and they said, man, that person is going straight to hell. Do not pass go, do not collect $200, you're going straight to hell. And they saw you until something happened because what isn't possible with men is possible with God. And many of us sit in this place today, miracles of God's grace. He took a heart that was a heart of stone and a heart that was dead and he replaced it with a heart that was alive and rich. And today we know Jesus and today we realize why we're here. It wasn't by works of righteousness which we did, but according to his mercy, he saved us. That is the reality. And it's interesting, you see, that the word impossible is not found in the Old Testament. What happened to God's people then by the time that Jesus' presence was on the earth? What happened? In the Old Testament, we don't see that word. Why? Because they believed that God, everything God did was possible. By the time Jesus came, we see a few mentions of the word impossible. All in the Gospels. Most in the Gospels. With God, all things are possible. With God, nothing is impossible. And that was a message to his own people. You've come not to believe in my power to do anything I want. And so what did the apostles do when they were set free? What did they do? Let's go to verse 21 of Acts chapter 5. What did they do? And when they heard that, when they heard that statement from the angel, go, stand in the temple, and speak the words of this life. Speak to all the words of this life. When they heard that, they entered the temple early in the morning. Notice, they went in early, which is suggesting that they waited. You know, there, there was a time, certainly, when, when people weren't at church or weren't in the synagogue or weren't at the temple. And, you know, so they would arrive early in the morning for the early morning prayers, but they weren't there at night. So they waited, and they went in early in the morning and taught. 
But the high priest and those with him came and called the council together. These are two things going on at the same time. And, and, and neither knows what, what the other's doing. So the high priest and those with him came. They called the council together with all the elders of the children of Israel. And they sent to the prison to have them brought. But when the officers came and did not find them in the prison, they returned and reported, saying, Indeed, we found the prison shut securely. In other words, the locks haven't been dealt with. The locks haven't been done. You know, nothing's been done to those locks. It was secure. The guards were standing outside before the doors, which means they weren't laying down or sitting down asleep. They were standing. They were guarding. But when we opened them, we found no one inside. (laughs) And now when the high priest, the captain of the temple, and the chief priest heard these things... They wondered what the outcome would be. Hold that thought for just a moment. So one came and told them, saying, Look, the men whom you put in prison are standing in the temple and teaching the people. Isn't that interesting? The escaped convicts went back to the scene of the crime. But do you know why? Because that's where the greatest need was. They went back to that place where they had seen thousands come to Jesus. That was where the need was. There were still more that were coming. There were millions of Jews coming to the temple. There were a lot of people to reach. You know, uh, those of you that are fishermen, you know this. If you find a fishing hole where there's a lot of fish, that's where you go. You don't say, well, you know, today I think I'm going to go fish over there, and I don't know what's there. There may not be nothing there, but I'm going to go there. I know there's fish here, but I'm going to go there. No, you don't. You go where the fish are. That's why you go fish. So where they go? They went back to the scene of the crime. And they went and taught about Jesus. The captain went with the officers and brought them without violence, for they feared the people, lest they should be stoned. First of all, consider the apostles' obedience and their boldness. They went into the most public of all places, the temple, and as soon as they could, early in the morning. In other words, they didn't, they didn't dilly-dally. They, they went in immediately and they taught the Word of God. They did exactly what the angel told them to do. They did exactly what God wanted them to do. Once they were set free, they went to serve the Lord. They didn't say, well, you know what, we'll get on it as soon as we can. Or they, or they didn't say to the Lord, Lord, as soon as the dust settles and, and the Sanhedrin relax their pursuit of us, well, we'll get back to, uh, to preaching. We're going to take it, you know, we're going to go on the lamb for a little while, but we're, you know, eventually we'll, we'll get back. Maybe we'll come with a disguise, you know. They, they didn't say that to the Lord. Along with their fear of the Lord, the apostles understood the urgency of the preaching of the gospel. Folks, we need to have that same heart That same understanding that if we have the fear of the Lord, we also need to understand the urgency of preaching the gospel. And I want you to know that you need to be careful when you begin a sentence with this. You know, I really should. Be careful when you say that statement. As a matter of fact, I urge you not to say it. Uh, You know, I I really should. Uh, You know, I really should share my faith. You know what that says? That you don't, but you really should. You know, I really should share my faith. You know, I really should pray. You know what that tells me? That means you really should, but you don't. I really should intercede for others. I, you know, so many people are having so many difficult times in this life. I really should pray and intercede for them. 
You know what that tells me? It says you really like to, but you don't. I, I really should get involved. Need I say more? I really should? Don't say that. Do it. What did James tell us in James chapter 1 under the influence of the Holy Spirit? In James 1.22 he says, But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. You're just deceiving yourself. You hear the thing and you say, Well, I really should, but, but you don't do it. You're deceiving yourself. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man observing his natural face in a mirror. For he observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. So we can look in the mirror and we can just say, you know, I really should go out and do this thing, and, and, and I ought to do that, or I ought to do this, or I ought to do that. And we go away from the mirror, we forget what we even said. And we never go to do the things that we said we should really do. You forget what kind of man you are. Verse 25 says, but he who looks into the perfect law of liberty. Notice that phrase. The perfect law of freedom. The perfect law of liberty. And continues in it. Is not a, is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work. This one will be blessed in what he does. Why are people missing out on so many blessings? Because they're not doing the work of the Lord. And each and every one of us in this room is called to do it. And rather than say, I really should, I really should. You just do. Let's be careful not to say that. You know, I really should. Well, you're just telling me don't. So why don't you do it? Why don't you pray for others? Why don't you share the gospel? Why don't you tell people about Jesus? Can you imagine if each and every one of us this week made a commitment right in this room, and each one of us in this room, I'm not having counted, we don't count numbers, but if each and every one of us shared the love of Christ with somebody this week and urged them to come to know Christ and to study his word next Sunday morning, well, we fill, first of all, all the chairs that aren't filled right now, because somebody probably said, I really should go to church this morning, but I'll go at 11. I really should have gone at 11. I'll go next week. You understand, the, you understand how the mind thinks? But if we come with those people, we'll fill, first of all, those chairs that are filled. The revival begins in our own hearts. And then Jesus adds to the church because we're fulfilling what the church does not what the church thinks it should do. Well, I have to move on here because of communion this morning. So, Let's get back to this scenario that was taking place. The disciples, the apostles are doing what they were called to do. But the Sanhedrin and the Sadducees, you know, they, they're getting this news that there's nobody in the prison. The apostles aren't there. And you have to chuckle a bit when you think of the surprised looks that they had uh, that had to be on the guards' faces when, when they discovered that their most important prisoners were, were no longer in their cells. Imagine how astonished the members of the Sanhedrin Council were when they heard the reports. Here, here they were trying to stop the miracles, but everything they did only multiplied the miracles. What a great lesson for us. 
Education, ordination, and sanction did not equate to a ministry of power for the Sanhedrin. The Sanhedrin had no power like this. On the contrary, the apostles may have been ordinary laymen, fishermen, tax collectors, yet God's power was at work in their lives. Why? Because they were filled with the Holy Spirit of God. The Sanhedrin tried desperately to take care of themselves and their dead traditions while the apostles were risking their lives to proclaim the living word of God. The dead council was defending the old. The church was taking pleasure in the new. What a contrast, you see. And verse 24 implies that the officials were greatly disturbed by what had, been, what had taken place. And in essence, they were asking, when is all of this going to end? Where is it all going to stop? That's why it tells us there in verse 24 that they wondered what the outcome would be. That is what it meant. They were wondering, when is this all going to end? We're getting tired of these apostles. We're getting tired of all of these people upsetting the status quo. They might have wondered, but, but we don't wonder. God's work, we know God's work will continue until the day of Jesus Christ. Paul tells us that in Philippians 1 verse 6. Being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. So we know the Lord's going to complete everything that he's begun in us. So soon enough, the apostles are there teaching again in the temple. And what happens? Soon enough, the apostles are arrested again. But that wasn't a problem for them, since they knew how easy it would be for the Lord to release them from prison Again, if it so pleased the Lord. Their faith in the Lord was certainly growing. This is why they didn't appeal to popular opinion or, uh, or uh, you know, for protection against the Jewish rulers. And so the officials arrested them without violence, it tells us. Now consider that the apostles could have incited a riot by shouting at the crowd, Hey, are you going to just let them take us away? Had they done that, you know, there would have been a tremendous riot. This is what the Sanhedrin were afraid of. The apostles stayed quiet. They trusted in God alone. You see, before we raise our voice, let's trust in God. Before we have any complaints at all, let's trust in God. Before we start making some kind of a, some kind of a, a, a plea that, that, that things seem to be unfair, let's trust in God. I mean, other means were available, certainly, but, but uh, they, did not, they did not do them. They trusted in God. Now, on the other hand, the officials feared the people, but they did not fear God. And that's a critical understanding here. They feared the people. They did not fear God. They feared stoning, it says at the end of verse 26. But they didn't realize that the stone which was rejected by them was in fact the chief cornerstone who would one day crush all rebellious and rejecting sinners. In Matthew chapter 21, verses 42 through 46, Jesus said to them, Have you never read in the Scriptures the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone? This was the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Therefore I say to you, the kingdom of God will be taken from you and given to a nation, bearing the fruits of it. And whoever falls on this stone will be broken, but on whomever it falls, it will grind him 
to powder. Now when the chief priests and Pharisees heard his parables, they perceived that he was speaking of them. But when they sought to lay hands on him, they feared the multitudes. Once again, you notice that they were afraid of the people. They feared the multitudes because they took him for a prophet. That fear, that fear in and of itself, revealed how bound the Sadducees and the Sanhedrin were to their dead traditions. They feared man, but they did not fear God. In contrast, the apostles, though they were under arrest, were by far the most free of all men, for they were constrained by the love of Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit. And this is what I want to come to conclusion with before we come to the table of the Lord. Are you free to be bound? Or are you bound to be free? Are you constrained by the love of Christ? Or are you constrained by the fear of men? Because when you are constrained by the love of Christ, you are then free. First of all, from the power and the bondage of sin and death. That's what Jesus came to set us free from. But we are now free to be his servants, to be his sons, to be his daughters, to be his bondservants, to be his friends. Folks, turn to 2 Corinthians 5. I should have told you to keep your finger there. I did last night, but I didn't do it today. 2 Corinthians 5, verses 14 and 15. This is one of the greatest passages of Scripture that the Apostle Paul wrote, in my opinion. He said, For the love of Christ compels us, constrains us, controls us. That's what that word means. For the love of Christ compels us, constrains us, controls us because we judge thus that if one died for all then all died and he died for all that those who live should live no longer for themselves but for him who died for them and rose again ah oh, listen to the beauty of that statement he died for all that those who live should live no longer for themselves folks that's for us that we are now to live unto Christ. We have been, you know, we died in Christ, but we are now alive in Christ. And He died for all that those who live should no, live no longer for themselves. How many people in the church today are living for themselves only and using just the things of the church or using just the things of the, uh, of the Scriptures for their own gain? We don't live for ourselves any longer. We live for Him who died for us and who rose again. You see the necessity there of seeing the power of the resurrection. In Galatians chapter 5, turn there with me. I'm, I'm going to do the whole chapter now. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, I am going to go through most of the chapter, but I'm going to just go in, in various verses to show that, that statement I made earlier, that, that we are constrained by the love of Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit. Galatians 5 verse 1 says, Stand fast therefore in the liberty by which Christ has made us free, and do not, do not be entangled again by a yoke of bondage or with a yoke of bondage. We are free in Christ, 
But then in verse 13 it says, For you, brethren, have been called to liberty. There's that freedom again. You have been called to liberty. Only do not use liberty as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. So we are set free then to serve one another in the love of Christ. And then in Galatians 5, verses 16 through 18, it says, Paul says, I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh, and these are contrary to one another, so that you do not do the things that you wish. But if you are led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. You see, the law binds people. And we know that even more in Galatians 5, verses 22 through 26. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. And those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live in the Spirit, let us walk in the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. You see, when we are bound to Christ compelled by Christ, constrained by Christ, controlled by Christ and His Holy Spirit. We are bound to that, but we are bound to be set free. To be used of Christ. To love one another. To bring the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ to those who are lost, to those who are blind, to those who are without light. And this is why true believers in Christ are bound to be free. Because we're bound to Him. We are constrained by Him. We are compelled by Him. We are controlled by Him. That is a choice we make. To let Him bind us. It is better than letting the world bind us. Because the world, the flesh, and the devil will bind us with sin, with darkness with evil, with ugliness. And we have enough of that in this world, don't we? When we come to this table this morning and we take hold of the bread and the cup of of communion today, I want you to consider, are you free to be bound? Are you free in your own mind thinking that, you know, I'm, I'm free to do whatever I want. But that leads to that kind of Captivity. Are you free to be bound? Or are you bound to be free? Let's pray.